0: Comes after him yet again. Beginning in verse 1. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakalah, which is on the east of Yeshemon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road on the east of Yeshemon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruah, Who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice." But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, "'Will you not answer, Abner?' Then Abner answered, "'Who are you who calls to the king?' And David said to Abner, "'Are you not a man? "'Who is like you in Israel? "'Why then have you not kept watch over your lord the king? "'For one of the people came in to destroy the king your lord. "'This thing that you have done is not good. "'As the lord lives, you deserve to die, "'because you have not kept watch over your lord, "'the lord's anointed. "'And now see where the king's spear is "'and the jar of water that was at his head.' Saul recognized David's voice and said, "'Is this your voice, my son David?' And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O King. And he said, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share. And the heritage of the Lord saying go serve other gods Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains Then Saul said I have sinned Return my son David for I will do no more harm to you because my life was precious in your eyes this day Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, So may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Please be seated. This is the word of the Lord for us today. So in this passage... David finds himself in a familiar place, still on the run, Saul still after him. David, the anointed king, not really taking on the kingship yet. The light at the end of the tunnel just seems so far out there, so far. The quote from Winston Churchill many years later resonates now. He said, This is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but perhaps it's the end of the beginning. So for David, long way to go yet, but at least it's the end of the beginning. We're seeing signs of God molding him into the king that he would be, into the precursor of our Christ to come. And in this, we see the way that God is going to mold David in the passage today, is he starts off with a predicament. And you see this in your, in your notes in the bulletin, that the passage starts with a predicament, a problem. And as so many issues in our life begin, we're going along. We may be just kind of in the day-to-day, in the doldrums, and then God presents a problem, a predicament for us. Or it may be on the flip side, that things are going well, that we've got smooth sailing, wind at our back, Smooth water, and then the storm hits. One way or another, God presents a predicament to awaken us, to startle us, to say, I'm sovereign. This is going to be for your good. So David, in this case, he's in the wilderness. The passage says, Yeshiman, which is a wasteland or a wilderness. He's wandering around again, still biding his time, a fugitive. Nowhere, literally lay his head as would be the case for Christ later. Abigail, who's come alongside him, she's probably wondering, so this is the life of royalty that I've signed on to? Hmm. But then it gets worse. It gets worse. David finds out, Saul's after me again. The old deja vu all over again. Here comes Saul. And the reason is because these Ziphites, they turned him in, they ratted him out the first time. They go and tell Saul again, Hey, we know where David is. Come get him. And thinking about these Ziphites, I've never seen a mascot of a a sports team. The Ziphites, the mighty Ziphites. You don't hear about the mighty Ziphites. If you did, their team would probably be a bunch of traitors. They'd probably just not show up for half the games. That's the impression we get of these these Ziphites. C.S. Lewis said, Prudence is taking the trouble to think through what effect our actions will have in the future. The Ziphites probably thought they were thinking prudently. We'll align ourselves with Saul versus David because we think Saul is going to win out in the end. Let's go align ourselves there and hedge our bets. So David's predicament, he's in grave danger in the wilderness, outmanned five to one. Saul sends 3,000 men. David's got at best, 600. Here comes Saul again. And Saul, well, they, they say third time is the charm. For Saul, he's tried 15 times to kill David. So it's going to be the 16th time is the charm for Saul. And it's, it's probably hard for us to fathom. You know, I, I don't have some crazy uh, dethroned king trying to kill me, trying to kill you. But maybe, maybe we have, for some, could be a spouse that's trying to kill the marriage somehow. Could be a coworker who brings in a spirit of death to the workplace because of their, their bad attitude. Could be a child repeatedly dishonoring the parent. And all of these have a death effect. But David, David chooses to trust In God's sovereign promise for the future for him, despite what he sees around him, despite the suffering, despite the circumstances he sees around him, he trusts in God's promise for the future. And sometimes for us, we need to experience in our souls, we need to experience that God's grace is sufficient and not just hear of it. There are times that we need to feel that and live in it. And David was getting that again and again. So application, do we have challenges that maybe we see over and over? Could be a sickness. Could be a conflict with wife, husband, child, parent, co-worker. Could be a challenge with finances. And we say, Lord, will I ever be done with this one? It keeps coming up over and over but in the end, God in his sovereignty is saying, this is an opportunity. This is a predicament that I'm giving you to take you to a greater level of trust, to a greater level of obedience, a greater level of dependence on me. Just as Paul said, My, or your grace is sufficient for me. He had to p- depend on the Lord's grace amidst a trial that he wanted taken away. So David's experiencing that again and again. This predicament, though, leads David to a plan, leads David to a plan. David's not passive, nor is he a pacifist. He's creative in a situation where he probably felt powerless, and yet we see him being creative. He decides, I'm going to make a point to the enemy. I'm going to make a point to Saul and possibly to myself. In chapter 24, when Saul came, Saul was the aggressor. David says, now I am going to be the aggressor. And how can we then, in a situation like this, the question would be to us, how can we be creative in a situation where I feel powerless so that I'm not sitting there just being passive? How about blessing my enemy, whoever that is, in a creative way? How about praying for my enemy, whoever that might be, and seeing the Lord work in a situation like that, like he faithfully will. So David, as part of his plan, he appeals to two men, Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, the son of Zeruah. Ahimelech the Hittite, he kind of lost his chance. We never hear about him. He wasn't quick enough to jump on to take the mission impossible upon him. But Abishai, he's thinking, David, the last time we were in the cave, you had the chance. You didn't do it. You need me. Let's go. I'm in. I'll take care of this guy for you. So the scene shifts immediately. Saul asleep in the camp. David's presented with the, the ultimate open door to get out of his trial, to be done with Saul. When we talk about this, this open door, this, this, this is a wide door. This is a a four-car garage uh, wide open door. See how wide this is. Somehow they just went through the night, navigated in, found Saul amongst 3,000 other people. The 3,000 3, are all asleep, including Saul. None have seen them. Saul's spear is right there. Boy, here's a sign. He's thrown this at me in the past. I'll take it. And I will finish him off with it. And then even more, David has one of his top mighty men with him. Abishai, who will later lead his mighty men. Abishai, who will later kill 300 men himself with his spear. This is going to be a piece of cake. This is an open door if I've ever seen one. How could this not be right? But something clicks for David. Something clicks. Maybe, maybe it's the voice of Abigail hearing that in his head like last time. David, a king, does not take vengeance on the Lord's anointed. Maybe David's learning lessons through repetition, and maybe it's plain old God's restraining sovereign hand again, helping him not to do this. He realizes the guilt would be on him whether he does it or Abishai does it, so he leaves it to God. Abishai had said... Let me strike him. And the word that uh, Abishai used there was nakah, which is a Hebrew word for strike. David says, no, you know what? Maybe God will strike him. And the word David uses, nagath, is a word that was in the previous chapter for strike when God struck Nabal. David's connecting and saying, maybe the Lord will strike him as he did Nabal. God will take care of this. I don't need to do the vengeance. And David connects those. But then again, David's not passive. God will take care of this, but he's not passive. He takes the spear. He takes the spear. And the spear is very important, very important to what it symbolizes for David. Literally, it's been a symbol of of Saul's hostility to him. He's thrown it at David multiple times. He's tried to take David's life multiple times with that very spear. But David refuses. I will not do that. I will not do what you do. I will not return evil for evil. Just as we can think through that. How many times, if somebody doesn't respect me, I'm not going to respect them. Or they're giving me the silent treatment, I'll give them what they deserve. David says no. I will not return evil for evil. Furthermore, this spear was about as big a source of temptation for David as could be. He was uh, tempted to take the shortcut. What's the shortcut? Kill Saul, get some men around me. Surely he could have had enough with him. He goes to the throne. He's waited long enough. He's been in the wilderness. Saul's been after him. Let's be done with it. Let me take the shortcut. I'm tired of being on the operating table. I'm tired of the surgery. I'm done. Let me claim it. Let me take the shortcut. But then we think what Eric read earlier, Matthew 4. Jesus had the same temptation to the nth degree where Satan says, don't go to the cross. Don't do the suffering. I'll give you what you want. I'll give you the stuff. Just worship me. And Jesus says, No, you'll worship the Lord your God only, not for the stuff. And, G- and, and David is realizing the same thing. This is about relationship with my God and not about just having the throne, having authority. So, for kids, as we, as we pointed out to the children, and it's a good reminder for us as well, we through life are going to get uh, taunted, egged on, tempted. To cheat, to sneak, to lie, to take a little bit. But God is present and he says, no, that's not the way. Hear my voice. And then for adults, okay, we said this is not, uh, uh, this is an open door here. So how many times for adults does it happen that spouses in marriage says, say, God wants me to be happy. That's his will for me. He wants me to be happy. And therefore this open door with this person or this thing or whatever that contradicts the blessing of my marriage. Oh, God wants me to take it. It's an open door. No. The key here is that an open door from God, an open door for God, would never contradict his word. Never. We call it dogmatic, call it old-fashioned, but God's spirit never contradicts his word. So we... Can't let opportunity trump or take precedence over obedience. Do not let opportunity take precedence over obedience. David, following out his plan, takes the water, the sign of life, of sustenance for Saul, and he takes the spear, the sign of power, continues with his plan. He goes out over to the other side, presents himself, calls out, but he calls out to Abner, not Saul calls out to Abner. David wants to address some of these men who have been spurring Saul on to the evil. Taunts Abner in a sense. Why aren't you you awake? Why aren't you protecting your king? Abner wants none of it. says, who's this calling to the king? David wasn't calling the king. David was trying to talk to Abner. Abner bows out of it. He becomes silent thereafter. David then speaks to Saul. But he is respectful in the way he is treating his enemy. He calls Saul, my lord, three times, king, six times, and the Lord's anointed, two times, respect, authority, because this is the king. So God in his his hidden sovereignty at times is going to put people in power over us, whether it's a parent, whether it's a boss, whether it's a president, we may not like them, but we are called to respect them. And so it's best to, to cut the criticism and to depend and trust timing, trust God's perfect timing. Jesus, in Matthew 28, he says, All authority, all authority, claim, all authority is given to me, and I give you a commission, go and make disciples, and a comfort. I am with you. So do we as a church, Redeemer, do we really believe the claim that Christ had with even as much authority that David gave to Saul? What if we really believed in this real world that we have a ruling king, Jesus, who rules with the authority and gives teachings and a way of life that we should follow, much more so than David respected Saul? So David, in this talk with Saul, he he presents two things to Saul. He says, "Saul, something's going on here. There's one of two things: either you have God's judgment on you, and you need to repent and give an offering. That's the reason he mentions in verse 19 the offering. That if you are in sin, Saul, then then God is working in this because God opposes his enemies." In different ways, he sometimes allows sinners to pursue evil actions, which in turn prompt his judgment. And this is a sad thing, a sobering point when one's heart becomes so hardened. Hebrews 10.31 says, and this is the sobering, not to be taken lightly point, it is a fearful, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that's what had happened to Saul, and he's a graphic picture of that. So David says, if that's the case, you need to repent, Saul. You need to repent, and it's not too late. Do it. Or, or and, Saul, stop listening to your men. What your men are doing, they are seeking to make me run away to another land. If you force me to flee from Israel, What's the temptation? I'll have to go into a foreign land, and that's going to be tempting me, driving me to worship other gods. That's why he brings that out. That's why he brings that out about worshiping the other gods. And that one's a little too simple, maybe for us to to appreciate, if you will, because we're in this, this world now with technology, connections everywhere, We can converse with a missionary across the world. We can watch a sermon just like that online, and we're so connected. But there, David was saying, I want to be in Israel because that is where God's presence is. I want to worship with God's people. That is a value that is important. And I step on maybe some toes to say that If we say, well, I'm not going to go to church this Sunday morning. I'll just stay home and listen to the latest Piper, Ferguson, DeYoung, Chandler, Novenson, Ad Infinite, whatever sermon, and I'll do church that way. Well, that ain't church. And that's what David's saying. I want, I need to be with God's people together, that corporate part of bumping up against each other, having to repent, having to encourage, having to build up, Having to worship together, that's church. I need that. Don't run me away from that, Saul. And that's what we need to appreciate too. So the predicament leads to a plan, and it ends in prayer and praise. David's challenge of Saul leads to multiple things. Saul confesses, and he asks David, will you return? Saul blesses David And the last thing he's going to say to him, end of the chapter, last thing Saul gives to David is he ends up blessing him. David essentially forgives him, gives him back the spear, but he's not naive. David forgives, but he doesn't go back with Saul. He knows the human heart. David's innocent as a dove, shrewd as a serpent. He knows what's likely in Saul's heart. And then David finishes with two things. A praise for God, a praise for God with whom righteousness and faithfulness will be rewarded. Righteousness and faithfulness will be rewarded. Matthew Henry said, if a great man be also a good man, his goodness will be much more his satisfaction than his greatness. What is that saying? Somebody can be great by rising to power, stepping on whomever along the way. The end justifies the means. I'm going to get to the top and achieve greatness. Goodness is not that way. Goodness means you go against the grain. You live by faith. You're dependent. You're living after God's own heart. David is saying that is what is ultimately rewarded. Every time we live in a righteous way, as David's talking about here, we expose the rottenness around us. So living with Jesus essentially goes against the current, and we should expect to get pushback. Jesus taught that the living God is a giving God. And his followers, because of that, they give up possessions, they give up power, they give up privilege. They don't live to get, they live to give. And their power is actually in powerlessness. And it goes against the world's value system. Your neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our boss, they may be confused to see someone living that countercultural way. And they may push against us. And It makes them feel out of step with the kingdom of Christ. And we should expect pressure. And then David, after that praise, he also he finishes with a prayer. May the Lord value my life. And deliver me from all trouble. In the midst of talking to Saul, he's turned to prayer to God, depending on the Lord. He'd already experienced that deliverance with Goliath when he said, the Lord will deliver me. So he knows the Lord will deliver me in the past, and I'm expecting him in the present. And so for us, so for us, our ultimate hope is in God that he may deliver you, he may deliver me out of the tribulations, and not a dependence on man. Over and over, Saul does the opposite. He seeks to take charge, offer the sacrifice, do whatever, do it my way. But David is saying, Lord, I will wait, I will trust, I will depend. I don't need the spear. The Lord is my strength and my shield. I don't need to force or promote my own interests. And the same is true for us. We wait, we trust, we depend. We wait, we trust, we depend on the one who took away Satan's weapons at the cross. The one who took, in a sense, the spear of Satan. Took it in his side. Gushed forth the forgiveness. Gushed forth the cleansing. The life that David needed that you need, that I need. And he gives it to us. And Jesus uttered prayers and cries on the cross that were unanswered until he was in the grave. And then answered on our behalf. He rose the prayers, the cries answered for us that our dependence on him might be Worth it, if you will. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we, as we see, are not in a situation with a crazed, lying, dethroned king chasing us around everywhere, but we are all the more needy because we live in a sense a Disneyland where things seem so easy at times that we're Persuaded not to be desperate for you, God, and we need that awakening. But others may be in such trials that they're wondering, will you answer? Do you care? Are you good? And yes, Lord, you are good and you are powerful. And in the midst of that, help us to see with eyes of faith, you at work for our good, minute by minute day by year, day by day, year by year. Help us to depend and wait on you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.